They don't want to exit. They want to build a company and, and stay with it. Me and Iran are like that. That's what we want to do. And I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs in Israel that that's what they want to do. I think every year presented different challenges. And it's still always around like hiring good people. I think that makes all the rest of the problems much, much easier when you hire great people and you give them the responsibility and ownership and making them feel that they are a part of the company and that it's in their hands. The world will be fully digitized, you know, it's happening now. The internet is here for a long time, but now like it got into our pockets, so it's changing. What's amazing is that we saw all this global growth even when the system was only in English. So we now are translated to over eight languages, but I think uh, English alone got us really far. From GGV, this is Founder Real Talk, where we get real about the challenges that founders and startup executives face and how they've grown from tough experiences. I'm your host, Glenn Solomon, managing partner at GGV Capital. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. Also, check out Founder Real Talk past episodes, including Stuart Butterfield from Slack, Nate Placharzik from Airbnb, Mikkel Svane from Zendesk, and Sarah Fryer from when she was CFO at Square. Without further ado, here's today's episode. This episode is part of our Israeli Entrepreneur Series, and we're recording from Israel today. And I'm joined by my colleague and co-host on this episode, Oren Younger. Welcome, Oren. Awesome to do this. So we're thrilled to welcome Roy Mann to Founder Real Talk today. Roy is the co-founder and CEO of Monday.com. Monday.com is the fastest growing company in Israel and is a work operating system that's designed to connect people to processes while empowering its users and creating a transparent work environment. Roy has long had a passion for technology and started coding when he was very young. Prior to co-founding Monday, Roy founded an online game company called Save an Alien. We're excited to dig into Roy's founder journey today and to get a deeper understanding of what it's like to found a company in Israel and then take it global. Roy, welcome to Founder Real Talk. Hey, thank you. It's great to have you. So you and your co-founder, Iran Zinman, launched Monday in February 2014. Mm -hmm. How did you guys meet and what was your vision for the company initially? Yeah, so we actually, we launched the, the first product in 2014. Okay. Kind of had a, a long year and a half of uh, suffering until the uh, product market fit, you know, in the beginning. When you struggle to, to build something you feel customers really want. And the vision we've had was always about how teams work and how companies scale. We were both working for very fast-growing companies in Israel, and we always found that the tools that we used never really helped us manage the teams. It was always all the leadership management was always outside the tools. The tools were just there to list work and they were rigid. So like we had to adapt ourselves to the tools rather than we feel it's an extension of ourselves that are really helping us. So, And we love really good software. And as you said, I came from a games background, been developing games since I was very young. I also taught computer games in my university, so I'm really passionate about it. And we wanted something fun, something that you love, something like consumer products today are, and to bring it to work. You know, the, the parallels to Slack, which uh, GGV is an investor in, and uh, we've had Stuart Butterfield on Founder Real Talk as well. 
the parallels are, are kind of uh, striking because, as you know, with Slack, Stuart also came out of the consumer business. He was a Flickr founder and was building a game company uh, that ultimately led to Slack. And I think if you ask him, he'd say the same thing. His goal was to bring simplicity and kind of fun to the product that they built ultimately. How important do you think that element, your background in consumer and trying to bring that into the work environment, how important was that to the success of, of Monday? So I think it, it was really important and Iran also shared the same, uh, let's say, uh, passion for building products people love to use. So for us, we actually wanted to go for the core of the business. Like when you come in the morning, what do you do? You need to open Monday to do it because mm-hmm. it's the core of what makes your business run, your teamwork, your company. So we went for the core. So we had like different objectives, let's say, than Slack. But I think the basic understanding that this is what drives change, that you actually love using the tool, that it like inspires you to do your work, is what makes a difference in this category of collaboration, of a future of work, and how we want the tools to be in our lives in the future. While the, let's say, classically or historic enterprise tools like, I don't know, ERP and the massive other systems that people, uh, you know, don't really love or like <laughs> feel they need to, like, why isn't there that field or I can't edit that and they send you to IT only to go and fill a form that you can't find as well. <laughs> Those kind of stuff uh, need to go away. Like, it's not helping us work better and we're moving faster. Everything is moving faster and this stuff, like, has to help us and not like hinder. Yeah, I've I've had the uh, misfortune yeah, you're of, smiling. of having you're to smiling. work work in uh, in ERP systems in my life, and I can tell you that's where uh, inspiration and agility that's where they go to die yeah. in those systems. But then you want to solve real business problems. You need to collaborate between a hundred people. You need people to work mm-hmm. in sync. You want to scale and you want to keep. And for us, it was. It was a big vision that when we wanted to scale the company and, and the companies we worked for before, we really wanted the atmosphere to stay the same. Mm-hmm. Like you work for a startup, everyone knows everything, everyone can influence everything. And then it's kind of like an assumption that this needs to die <laughs> as yes. you grow. And we, first of all, we didn't accept that when the companies that we worked for. And then when we built Monday, we set out not to do it here, but also, you know, it's like really helping that you're building the tool to not let that happen. And I think that's like something we're really passionate about. And it has to start with having great UI, something that you are like, it's part of the product principles is that you don't need to work for the system. The system always has to work for you. Yeah. We do that with permissions, with a lot of things. So yeah, games obviously are really there in the forefront of UI and experience. Ah, that's great. One thing you did that we thought was interesting was you changed the name of the company. You know, after launching it and growing mm-hmm. to be quite big, you changed the name to Monday. Yeah. Um, what was that process like to to change it? Why'd you do it? And um, how did you manage to make sure that process didn't kill the company and, and kill your momentum? Yeah, so if, if we're on that question, like the, the name of the company was The Pulse before. The so Pulse, that was right. like, yeah, so we're, we're like trying to like uh, let it go, but uh, it haunts us uh, still, I guess. <laughs> and there's like a cool video on YouTube where we explain why that name is really bad. The duh really <laughs> didn't like it. We had a joke, you know, like the Facebook dropped the duh. Yeah. So for us, it wasn't the D, it was the, and it didn't get good responses on that. So 
Switching from that name was easy. The question is, uh, where do we switch to? Yeah. And when Monday came, it was like uh, after two and a half years of suffering. And the company actually did succeed. But we felt we didn't have T-shirts. We weren't proud of the old name. So right. we, we, we really didn't connect to it. So Monday, it was a bit of a gamble, a little bit. But we believed in it because it's like a day some people hate. We actually did the research. Half of the people actually like Mondays. Really? They said it's a, those are the silent half. Okay, <laughs> let's go. So they say it's a fresh start, a new beginning. And, and you know, the problem is not the day. The problem is the stuff you need to deal with on that day. And exactly. I think that's like kind of our vision in the world, that we want to fix that. We want to solve and tackle all those problems. And that's why we felt it was a perfect fit. When someone suggested it, we said, okay, we have to. Now let's get the domain, which was a saga of its own, but uh, I'm sure. yeah, but we got it. It really is a great name and good on you for making that switch. I know that's very hard to do. So the company is growing quite fast. You surpassed $120 million of ARR and you have over 100K of paying customers. At this stage of the company, as you scale, what are the biggest challenges that you currently have? Yeah, so obviously with those, uh, let's say, ambitious goals, uh, which we set, by the way, because we see the potential mm -hmm. in the market. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of uh, non-tech are digitizing and a lot of vertical software is not good enough and not fit enough. And I think our category of work operating system is going to, and we have a couple of other companies in that category that I think will together change how software looks. So with that, the size of the opportunity kind of drives us to do all those stuff and scale. And I think everyone in the company understand that. So obviously there are a lot of challenges, scaling the team, reaching awareness, growing up with the brand that we build and the fact that people know us. You know, you start off, like I heard some founder in the Valley, I forget which, he said that our vision in the first year was to stay alive, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then we kind of grew into a vision of uh, helping the world and changing stuff. So I think it's it's also true for us. Like in the beginning, we, we had things we didn't want to do, like build software that people don't love and just like supports a business. We build the company around building a good product. And as we scaled, I think every year presented different challenges. And it's still always around like hiring good people. I think that makes all the rest of the problems much, much easier when you hire great people and you give them the responsibility and ownership and, and making them feel that they are a part of the company and that it's in their hands. And I don't know if you went around the office a little bit and saw some of the stuff we do to kind of like encourage that ownership and that people do feel it's their company and, and that it's in their hands to make it successful and or not. So that's always hard because as you scale, like uh, we're now reaching 400 people and we have probably ambitious goals this year of hiring another uh, around 300 people. And so when you almost double, it's hard. How do you get all those new people to feel in the same way? Mm. It's like a massive challenge. And I think it's a challenge for everyone here. So, mm. so that's probably one big one. Could you tell us a little bit about the customer base? Is Monday mostly serving SMB or you have some enterprise customers? Yeah, so we have everyone. We really see the whole pyramid from small to uh, large companies. 
the more massive scale we see now is towards enterprise, obviously. And it's amazing, like for larger companies, the smaller problem you solve horizontally throughout the company, that's like way more impactful than, you know, like SMBs want a whole suit, they want everything in one tool, right. which they can build with us and they do. And enterprises tend to require more in-depth uh, infrastructure, permissions, a lot of and help, and, and we do that too. Actually, this is why this is a category that is going to change everything because we have customers from uh, two people, like a design team or like a freelance team for, with two people, and we have a deployment of like 6,000 people. Wow. So that range doesn't really exist in most software, and the reason is, is that every one of them gets exactly what they want because they build it. We give them the building blocks to build whatever they need and they do it and then it adapts with them over time as they grow. So companies also grow with us and uh, really don't see any limitations by adding so many use cases as they grow. They can do anything. They want to manage anything like project management, CRM, HR, sales, anything really. Have you built any special go-to-market to address those very different type of customers? Yeah, so what we've done is actually allow our customers to build those and they come and share it back with us and uh, we have templates that let you start off with the baseline. So for example, in uh, R&D, we have a very good template for uh, managing a Scrum team or Agile and those kind of stuff. For uh, If you have an event, we have a very good baseline for managing events which has like so many people involved and, and moving parts. Content marketing, our content calendar, production is really big, managing uh, any kind of production. So you have a template, you start off with that, and then some people only figure out they're on a platform like a few days later. And then they, oh, I can add that column, I can change this view, I can do whatever. And then once they get it that they can do anything, it's like really like you got superpowers. You know, it's the tool, the missing tool mm. in your management leadership uh, suitcase. As you grow your customer base, and you mentioned there's a big shift towards enterprise, do you think that you will need to make an additional calibration, doing something different when you grow? So our approach is is building an infrastructure all the time. Like I'll give an example of uh, the smartphone, okay? It's like not more complicated because there are 2 million apps in the App Store. It's more powerful. And that's unlike other software, which like gets more complex as you add more stuff. Yeah. So we took that approach and, and then we're adding additions that don't make the platform more complicated, just like adding new abilities. So obviously enterprises will need way more stuff regarding permissions and our ability to set it up, but we take a lot of effort. It's like hard to know from the outside how much time we take into talking about those things and keeping the platform simple. Okay, that you start off with what you understand and then you grow and then whatever else you need, you'll be able to, to add. Do you sell the product the same way to that two-person team and the many thousand-person team today? And, and do you anticipate having to evolve the way you sell as you move into larger companies? Uh, so the answer is they start off in the same way. Yep. And today we see like a massive trend over like I think uh, 20 years now of companies becoming more flat. Mm -hmm. and, like everything is moving faster. You can see, I don't know, software. We deploy now the product like 30 times a day. 10 years ago or like 15 years ago, it was on CDs, DVDs. It's like a six-month release cycle, okay? So like that's the speed increment we've had in those 
times and companies can't react anymore uh, with the hierarchy set of mind and information flow. So all that, the way that information flows within companies is changing. And, you know, you might see this as a, like KPIs, as an example, mm-hmm. is the crudest form of transparency. It's like I'm telling you where to get to and not how to get there. Right. And then what we see is that teams in large enterprises are becoming autonomous. They have a credit card. They can expense stuff. Yep. They pick their own tools on the cloud. They do whatever they see fit to reach the goals they get. And so small teams in larger companies behave the same way as small teams that are the company right. like SMBs. And, and that approach allows us to actually tackle them in the beginning in the same way. And part of the vision we've had in the beginning of like building a tool that people like kind of like uh, makes us do a bottom-up approach. We're not a top-down decision uh, product. We don't see ourselves ever leaving the bottom-up. If someone wants to sign up, give it a try, it'll always be simple and easy to start with. And then... Once they grow over a certain size or usage, if they are from a large company, then we have a consultancy group that will approach them and help them scale. And it really is a consultancy. It's like managed as a sales approach, but it's like we're actually helping them. The guys here are not, we're not basing it on commission and it's Ah, really only to help uh, customers it's uh, a facilitation uh, team more than a than a like a yeah, sales and the, team they're really like the the way we get is that customers at that point they're already paying <laughs> okay right. and they're really happy that we give them a call cuz they have a lot of questions and we need to help them do stuff they get building blocks and then you know there is more than one way to do things so we have the best practices and we really try and help everyone like scale to wherever they need so so, so one question I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned, you know, this work operating system market, that you have competitors. There's definitely other companies that have visions that maybe don't exactly match Monday, but there's some similar visions out there and some companies doing well. Do you guys spend much time looking at your competitors and trying to understand what they're doing with their products and what their roadmaps and messaging are? Or do you really kind of shut that out and focus on what you want to do? Well, obviously, so we can even uh, mention a few names of companies that we see are doing well. It's uh, Airtable, Coda, Notion are doing interesting stuff in this area. But our product vision and roadmap is our own. Like Because the market is so massive, the opportunity is so big, at this point in time, like uh, focusing uh, on, on what we see in the market is better for us. Although there are a lot of similarities, I think our approach is much more towards people and teams and how teams work rather than uh, other uh, approaches of data and and those kind of stuff. And and we actually are, like each, take a different direction Mm -hmm. to it, which Mm -hmm. I think is, is interesting. So we definitely look at what they're doing. I know they look at what we're doing, some copy a lot of the cool <laughs> stuff with or get inspired by the right. good stuff we do. And it's exciting. For all of us as a category, like really it's a green field out there of replacing and disrupting a lot of old software. And actually those groups, we don't collide in them in uh, deals, let's say in larger deals in corporate, like not yet. So it's like so massive that we don't really see them in, in those deals. So That's intriguing and, and yeah. kind of crazy given that you're as Oren mentioned, you're over 120 million in ARR and over 100,000 customers. But it, it gives you a sense for how large this market opportunity really is. Yeah, we, we see our target audience as a 1.2 billion information workers. 
And that, that's what we said like uh, two years ago. And now we have a lot of people driving trucks and, uh, and other people who don't have computers but use us on the move. Uh, yeah. So I, I think that's even more massive. So yeah. eventually it's everyone working and, and the world will be fully digitized. You know, it's happening now. Like uh, the internet is here for a long time, but now like it got into our pockets. So it's changing. Very good point. One of Monday's core values is transparency. We're sitting here at Monday's HQ in Israel, and you could basically see every metric displayed on the screen for everybody to see. Why did you decide to do something like this? So it's two points. So like just to elaborate, like we have our internal system we call Big Brain, which measures everything, and everyone has access to it. It's like a from an amount of money we have in the bank to everything else, okay? Business, customer, everything. Uh, with respect to customer privacy, we can't really access technically any of our customers' information, obviously. It's their so, information. It's a big brain, not big brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's for two reasons. The one, we started off as transparent because we believe in that, and then we never saw a reason to stop. Okay, so that's why everything is like inherently transparent because we believe in it and, and it makes sense. Uh, but then you need to invest a lot of energy into, like it's not enough to have a folder somewhere with the data and like you can access it. You need to actively help people understand those metrics which are not that easy to understand because it gets complicated over time. You have the sales metrics and the R&D metrics and everyone has their own TLAs and, and short names for everything that others don't understand. It becomes complex. So we make a lot of effort into educating people as well. We have our own data school that people can learn how to uh, investigate data and, and do stuff on it because we care about that. And I think that's a big part of passing the ownership to people, that to allow them to accomplish whatever they want to accomplish, is that you give them the tool and you show them that they care. It's not about who knows what. And that's like how internal politics are born, I think, from uh, hiding information. Then who knows what becomes a thing. And it's not a thing. It doesn't help anyone and anything move forward. So that's like a, a really good way for a new company or a startup to like kill politics as they grow, just like make information available. And then it's a matter of execution of impact and rather than like who knows what. But again, like ownership is also hard. You need to like give people that feeling in, in many other aspects. But I think this is the baseline. Without that, it's, it's really difficult to do that at scale. So you mentioned the word platform earlier uh, when talking about the product, but you know the business model you're pursuing is also a platform business model. Mm -hmm. uh, it seems like the integrations you mentioned to other products, many of which fortunately GDV's invested in, the Zendesks of the world, the Slacks of the world, and, and you know lots of other companies that people are using, that knowledge workers are using to, to kind of get their jobs done better. How important is being a platform to you guys? And do you think that becomes part of what makes Monday unique over time? Definitely. So we're in the category of work operating system, which is inherently a platform. Mm -hmm. and, and Monday is a platform from the base. It's like you can start from scratch and build everything. Like whatever you get as a template, it's built out of building blocks. So there is no, like when you reach the bottom, there is nothing but platform. And it's important if we are to eliminate all the white space out there of work, as we mentioned before. It's like all those things that are in your head that are not digitized. Like think about it, like 
we're all working digitally, but the phone stayed the same, just lost the cord, like from, I don't know, 50 years ago. Uh, letters are now emails, and the whole mailroom is in our inbox, okay? Mm-hmm. Like you have a lot of, uh, the computer works like the mail <laughs> room, but you still need to read those emails and respond like you used to. Okay. Uh, It's the bane of my existence. <laughs> yeah. So, and then you have meetings. They're now overseas with uh, uh, video conferencing, which is less good than physical uh, meetings. Okay. But like you can do it from everywhere. And those uh, operational uh, whiteboards are moved to spreadsheets. Okay. Yep. So we are digital, but we're doing the same exact stuff on the move in our computers. And that needs to change. And I think that's what the platform allows you to. You still are doing a lot of phones. Whatever platform you use, you still need to do a lot of things manually. And I, I can give you just like a, let's say, a random example that everyone can connect to, like event planning. Like you have a meetup, for example. Mm-hmm. We've had a, a big meetup a few weeks ago where we did, we took a form from Monday. We placed it on our website. Hundreds of people signed up. Then they put their emails so, and, and phone numbers so we could ask them to RSVP via an automation on Monday and they got a phone call, which we've done through an integration in Twilio that actually did the voiceover, a mm-hmm. machine voiceover, like you said you're going to come, are you really going to come, press one, not press two. It made like 450 calls simultaneously to people which like acknowledged they're coming or not. So we did that in the morning and then it was... Like heavily raining, you know, like uh, you plan an event, you really invest, and then it's like heavy, heavy rain. Yeah, exactly. So the team here organized that uh, they take uh, taxi cabs on our expense because it was really important for us to come. So they send an SMS telling them that, and if they want to, we'll do it for them through Get, which is like the Uber equivalent in Israel. and several other places, and uh, so it really meant a lot for them. When they came to the event, they got an SMS with a, a form for, to ask questions. When they left the event, we sent them a questionnaire, all in Monday, okay, and all, everything is aggregated and helping us do it, and, and they set that system up in like an hour. So these are the kind of stuff that you can build like on a platform that just you can't invent stuff and build them on classic a way of software that you need to adapt to, that thinks in a certain way that you need to figure out how they think. So if it's not building blocks that you can assemble in any way you want, this is not the kind of stuff you can do. Super powerful example. So the bulk of the team is here in Tel Aviv, but you have an office with nearly 100 employees in New York City. What has hiring been like in the U.S. and how you've worked to maintain the similar culture across the offices? Well, so that's really like part of the challenges in scaling is when you grow globally to to keep the same culture. yeah so what we've done initially and it was really important for us uh, is that several people of the team moved to New York and we kind of had a core of Monday that can connect really well with everyone we, we didn't hire new people that needed to adjust and didn't really know. What the company is about we took people who has been with us since the beginning and built the company to start the new site and when I go into the office in New York it feel like the same company it's amazing it's mm. it's like really and, cool. and you know every time you come it's like a, <laughs> it's amazing to see how they scaled so quickly 
and it was so successful and and still we, we take a lot of effort into connecting the two offices we were flying a lot and that was part of the reason we chose uh, New York is that we can fly direct flights uh, were important and that people actually want to go there and it's exciting for everyone to go from there here and from here to there and also and uh, when we have weekly meetings we place it in an hour that everyone can join we do it together and and we try to do a lot of things together how early in your life cycle have you established a new york office so it wasn't i think a year and a half ago a year and a half ago yeah and they grew like 100 people in that period that's amazing any new office locations that you're thinking about yeah a couple of them and like we want to open one now in the bay area probably san francisco We're looking into Europe and, and many other areas that make sense in terms of our customer base and where we want to improve like the way we are there. We also have like a lot of global partners and that are covering a lot of other countries. So it really is a, a, an interesting question like where do we want to be in rather than not be in. But I, I, I guess like at the pace we want to grow and those kind of things, I think it's important to have, physical presence and really understanding the culture that you're getting into mm. let's say uh, I don't know Germany or France like you really un- need to understand their problems their point of view so in the beginning it should be remotely and then you know as you understand it will go over to many other areas but your product can be used by anybody and so you probably see global growth without necessarily trying to urge it on I think you said 50% of your customers are US. based today roughly uh, uh, North America North yeah, America like, okay uh, yeah. so anything that's been surprising to you about where Monday gets used globally we actually obviously have a dashboard for it yeah. I don't know if you saw <laughs> yeah, where saw. all the duns are getting done across the globe and it's like flickle so it's like really everywhere we have I think over 160 countries right now if not more and So it's always interesting to see like a, a flicker on an island in the middle of the ocean somewhere like <laughs> how they do okay they have internet it's cool so yeah. what, what's amazing is that we saw all this global growth even when the system was only in English so we now are translated to over eight languages but I think uh, English alone got us really far and now we're localizing it mm. more and, and seeing that this makes an impact it's important to Mostly because if you want to grow within the entire company, not everyone speaks English right. in all non-English speaking countries, so it's it's a problem for them. Do you price the product in uh, in local currencies anywhere uh, outside or is it uh, yeah, that was big to enable them to pay with their local currency yeah that'll uh, that'll yeah, help yeah. from what we've and, seen and local Slack. payments and their like it's a, there was a whole culture around how payments are made Absolutely. in different countries and different. they're like the way they think about it the way you need to do it the local vendor so definitely it's something we need to improve on and it's it like makes a difference let's talk a little bit about Israel we've been amazed at GGV about as we've gotten deeper into the market how much innovation is really going on here you know it's, it's always been a, uh, a nation known for startups but it also seems like there are more and more companies that Just baseline a lot more companies getting founded these days and then also more companies emerging uh, obviously Monday is the fastest growing company in Israel which is which is quite a feat but there are more and more companies that are starting to achieve real meaningful scale in Israel what's your take on kind of this this market and 
what's changed about it and, and what do you expect to see in the future? I think Israel is the second to the valley in terms of size, not just like a per capita, which we're like, I don't know, probably number one because we're very small oh, yeah. and a lot of startups. Hard but, to imagine there's but, anybody ahead uh, on a per yeah, capita but, basis. But it grew to be really big and I think we're now on a maturity phase. Like in the early days, like if you look back many years ago, I don't know, 2000s, we were doing a lot of like uh, patents, let's say. Yes. Uh, it was the big thing. A lot of technology, core technology, electronics, like DSPs, processors, those kind of stuff. Then I think there was an evolution step to Israelis of the mar- or the market here building products and like a global products that people use worldwide rather than being just about technology. I think now we have a few well-known global brands uh, like Quix, as an example, so we're becoming better storytellers and better at building brands. And because the ecosystem grew big and, and we have more examples and, uh, let's say, seasoned entrepreneurs that build a few startups before, then they want to build bigger companies and they want to build and not uh, sell them and do like a short term or like a smaller exits. They don't want to exit. They want to build a company and, and stay with it. Me and Iran are like that. That's what we want to do. And I think there are a, a lot of entrepreneurs in Israel that that's what they want to do. And you see the other part of the ecosystem maturing as well. Like you have, uh, let's say, even law firms get better at mm-hmm. it and understand. Mm-hmm. Investors get better at building bigger companies and, and seeing it long term. You have growth firms that are growing and, you know, we have a crossover fund now. And, you know, stuff are becoming bigger and bigger because... Uh, it's a maturity phase, and I think that's what you should expect from Israel coming soon, like be- building bigger and bigger companies that do a bigger impact. As an Israeli, it's just phenomenal to see. Super proud. Yeah, and you see the skyline in Tel Aviv is like uh, also going higher and higher, uh, massive constructions yeah. of bigger and bigger buildings. Yeah, so. I've seen a lot, a lot of cranes in the air right Yeah, now. yeah, <laughs> like so many cranes. So, Ro, this has been an incredible episode. We're going to go to the speed round now. Just going to ask you a couple of questions and just say the first thing that comes to your mind. Your favorite book that you like to recommend to other founders? Uh, yeah, so I'm notorious for recommending this book. It's like the inmates are running the asylum. It's like a, an old book on product. And it says that the people who are uh, good at technology are not good at building products because they understand technology. It kind of helped me along to understand being like with an engineering background, understanding the responsibility we have for UI and building like products that people can actually use. So Mm. it's an awesome book. Okay. That's the first time recommended on uh, Founder Real Talk, but we're going to have to check it out. Best piece of advice you've ever received as a founder? So I can say the best thing that changed Everything for me is like they tell you all the time you you should learn from your mistakes, right? So what I found out that uh, when, no you, when you make... <laughs> no, we make whew, a lot of mistakes all the time. But uh, from mistakes, you learn what not to do. But you also need to learn what to do. And that helped me uh, join a successful company, helped me more than all the mistakes I've done as a founder. And I founded two companies and that failed. <laughs> and I did a few mistakes there, but not enough to prevent me from doing enough mistakes to succeed. What helped me succeed was actually seeing a company that grew. And then you figure out, you know, what was the good stuff and the bad stuff about 
how they did it, but also that it didn't matter. And you understand, okay, so that doesn't matter so much what did. And, and that, I think, made a huge difference for me in learning how to build something successful is seeing something successful being built. Okay, Roy, this is the most important question of the day. Okay. Falafel or shawarma? Uh, okay, for me it's easy because I'm vegetarian, so falafel. Okay, so where's your favorite falafel place in Israel? Uh, there are so many that comes to mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's like three now. But it's like really, literally everywhere you go, you'll get uh, good falafel. I don't think it's like, uh, if it's good, it's good everywhere. Okay, there's going to be an influx of travelers now to Israel. The founder of Real Talk Nation is coming okay. to Israel. You can go to, to I'll, I'll give you one. In, in Tel Aviv, in uh, King George Street, there is uh, the wizard falafel. The wizard falafel. The wizard falafel. Okay. Like, uh, so. Warren, we got to go check it out. I think it's our next step. Okay. Roy, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Great episode, and I, I know our, our listeners will really appreciate it. Good luck with uh, continuing to grow Monday.com at an incredible pace. We're looking forward to seeing what you do next. You've been listening to Founder Real Talk. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask our guests or founders you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to email us at founderrealtalk at ggvc.com. We're produced by Ted Carstensen and his team at HeavyBit. We want to thank Ted for his support. Our theme song is by Grapes. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm that invests in local founders. As a multi-stage, sector-focused firm, GGV focuses on seed to growth across consumer, social and internet, enterprise cloud, and frontier tech. The firm was founded in 2000 and manages $6.2 billion in capital across 13 funds. Past and present portfolio companies include the likes of Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, Didi, Grab, Hellobike, HashiCorp, House, Keep, Namely, New, Opendoor, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, and many more. The firm has offices in Beijing, San Francisco, Shanghai, and Silicon Valley. Learn more at ggvc.com or follow us on Twitter at, at GGV Capital or GGV Capital on WeChat. <laughs>